Ah, uh, there we go. Okay, we're on. Oh, hallelujah. He is risen. What a day. And I reckon it must have been quite a day back all those centuries ago. My text today is from John chapter 20, verses 10 to 16. But before I get into that, or while you're looking it up, I'd like to read a poem that was uh, written in 1633 by a man named John Donne. It's called Death Be Not Proud. Some of the language is a little bit archaic, but you can get the gist of it. Death, be not proud, though some have called thee, mighty and dreadful, for thou art not so. For those whom thou thinkst thou dost overthrow, die not, poor death, nor yet can thou kill me. From rest and sleep, which but thy pictures be, much pleasure is gained. Then from thee much more must flow. And soon our best men with thee do go, rest of their bones and soul's delivery. Thou art a slave to fate, chance, kings and desperate men, and does with poison, war and sickness dwell, and poppies or charms can make us sleep as well. And better than thy stroke, why so proud then? One short sleep past, we wake eternally, and death shall be no more. Death, thou shalt die. That's John Don's Easter poem. And that's what today is all about. Resurrection Sunday. The day death dies. Today marks the anniversary of when death was humbled. Death has always been God's servant. Uh, we recently remembered the Passover on Thursday when death passed over the Hebrews at God's command. But now, thanks to Christ, death will also pass over us. From John 20. Then the disciples went back to their homes after investigating the empty tomb. Uh, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look in the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realise it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that she had seen these things, that he had said these things to her. 
On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After that, after he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. There is implicit here a parallel with Christ's incarnation. It's as if his resurrection is a type of rebirth. With Jesus' first birth, when he arrived as a man, he was born from Mary's womb. I think most of you are aware of that. And the first person to witness Jesus in the flesh was her husband, Joseph. No midwife recorded, so I presume that Joseph performed those duties. Here, at the resurrection, we find that Jesus is risen from Joseph's tomb. Joseph of Arimathea owned a garden with a tomb in it, and that's where Jesus was buried. And the first person to witness him was a lady named Mary, who mistook him from a gardener. It seems then that this birth is, this resurrection is then a sign of rebirth, of a new life. A post-death life. The gardener would also seem to be a reference to Eden. The place where sin came into being. And now, in this garden, owned by Joseph, sin has ended. And restoration now begins. So we see here, sort of a subtle Reference to a new birth. We also see it from another angle. On this day around the world, Jews are celebrating the feast of new of first fruits. This is uh, when the first crops of harvest were offered, and in thanks for the bounty and for God's provision, they would offer the first fruits of their orchards and fields and livestock and so forth. They'd be given to the temple. So Jesus rose to new life on the day of first fruits. And it seems to me that this is why Paul refers to Christ as firstborn from among the dead. He is our first fruits offering. A declaration that this new life is only just beginning, it's not just for Christ. But there's a whole harvest coming. On Friday it was finished. The work of atonement was done. The sacrifice had been prepared. And Christ was slaughtered on the cross. Our sins were done away with. But here on Sunday begins something new. All the work of ministry... All the suffering of the Passion Week finds its reward here. New life, everlasting life. Death, be not proud, for Christ has humbled thee. And this is great for Jesus, but how does this impact on us? I refer to the imagery of the Passover lamb as an explanation. 
The Passover lamb is a symbol of Christ that was given to the Jews thousands of years ago. And on Passover, they are commanded to eat the lamb, all of it, and to leave no part uneaten. And this, I think, is a symbol of Christ being in us. That when we take Christ into our lives, we are to leave no part of him out. We take him all. It's an all or nothing deal. And in doing that, we are saved from sin. We are made righteous and all of the other blessings that come with that. But likewise, there is blood on the doorpost, which was assigned to the angel of death to pass over that house. And this I see as a sign of us being in Christ. So first Christ is in us and saves us. But then we are in Christ and death passes over us. So that when death sees Christ, we are not touched. We are saved from his hand. Our new life begins then when we enter into Christ and we identify with him rather than ourselves. We take on his nature and substitute it for our own. And in this, we live a new life eternally, starting from that moment. If we wish to join Christ in his new and everlasting life, we need to accept this invitation that he has offered us. He stands at the door and he knocks. But we must open that door and let him into our lives, wholly and completely, not partially, not just here and there in the safe, nice, comfortable parts, but into all our hearts. In this way, Christ is in us and we are saved by his actions on the cross. But we must also be in Christ and enter into him if we wish to have his life. We take on his nature, becoming Christ-like in attitude, demeanour and action. In this way we adopt his new life and live forever. When death comes for us, it is not permanent. It is nothing but a sleep. And instead we will be resurrected on that last day. And so often I think people are busy trying to get their hearts ready for Christ. And they don't want to let Christ into certain parts of their heart until they get themselves sorted out and organised. Not realising that Jesus is waiting there with his sleeves rolled up and a rag in his hand. More than happy to clean us up. You don't need to. You don't need to impress him. He knows it all. And he wants to help. But this is not all. Oh no. This is the tip. It's great, isn't it, that death has no hold over us. That the grief we experience at a funeral is not permanent. It's not goodbye forever, it's I'll see you later. And that's a wonderful gift, but God is even more generous than this. We get to be adopted into God's family. We get to be co-heirs with Christ, receiving everything and sharing everything that he has. Not just inheriting his eternal life, wonderful and amazing as that is, we get to borrow his authority 
commanding in the name of Jesus. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of thee. We become inseparable from God's love. We get to live in paradise. Now, I don't know where you live now. I, oh well, I know Faye and Anton are already living in paradise and they can probably tell you what it's like. Paradise is very dry. Well, maybe you could move a little closer to the river that flows from God's throne. <laughs> oh no. Oh no. But there's an even greater paradise. A paradise in an age to come, when heaven and earth will be merged together as they were in the beginning, and God will walk amongst his people. A day when when we will stand by that river that flows from God's throne, when we will walk with our Lord in the cool of the evening, as Adam and Eve once did. (coughs) When we will return to that garden, in the presence of God, that great tree of life whose leaves are for the healing of the nations. There is a day coming, and today, Easter Sunday, is the guarantee of that day. Like a deposit on a house, you know it's going to happen. We are counted righteous. Sin no longer rules us because Christ conquered sin and death. We are guilt free. Our shame is taken away. We have nothing to be ashamed of. So when you get that little voice in your head that wags your finger and says, Now, now, don't get above yourself. You've done this and this and this and this and this. You know what you say? You say, well, Satan, you left five things out. There's another bunch of stuff that Jesus also took care of. There's that, 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 that and that as well. While you're on your little high horse there. We get to live according to the Spirit. This means a baptism in the Holy Spirit. That's a wonderful, wonderful thing. To be filled completely from head to toe with the power of God's Spirit. And to receive His lavish gifts. Gifts of power and prophecy and administration and helps. and Oh, there's lists and lists. Awesome stuff that God has lavished upon us. That we get... Because we are in Christ. We do not receive a spirit of fear and timidity, but power and a sound mind. We get that authority. We get clear thinking, the mind of Christ. We please the spirit, but not the flesh. And in so, in that discipline, we are empowered. It's not easy. Not promising that it's easy. In fact, I don't think there's any way to get away from uh, the pain and suffering of life. I, but you do have a choice. You can choose the suffering of discipline or you can choose the suffering of regret. 
If you choose the one, you miss out on the other. We please the Spirit and not the flesh, living in the five directions of love that Jesus preached about. Loving God with all our heart and soul, mind and strength. Loving our neighbour as we love ourselves. We love one another as evidence of our discipleship in Christ. And we love our enemies, blessing those who curse us and returning evil with good. And that's a tall order. But it's possible because of what happened on this day all those years ago. Without Christ's life in us, you can't do that. You might love God because God's blessed you. And you might love your neighbour if you get on well with them. And I know plenty of people who have no trouble loving themselves. They tend to overdo it a bit. And maybe if you're really, really saintly and you put, put your real effort in, you can love one another. But don't ask me to love my enemies without God's power. Oh, okay. That ain't happening. In myself, in my flesh, in my normal human nature, they get the flick. Don't want anything to do with you. But because of God's power in me, because of the life of Christ within me, I'm empowered to do things that I would not ordinarily be able to do. And without being able to love in these directions, the world won't improve. It won't. Because what is love? In Corinthians, Paul spells it out. Love is kind. Love is patient. It's not self-seeking. It doesn't boast. It doesn't envy. And so forth. You can read the rest in the chapter for homework, if you like. And Christ's death and resurrection empowers us for that. And when we are in Christ, and Christ is us, he used, we, we bear much fruit. In his ministry, he used the symbolism of a vine with various branches coming off it. And he said, if you are in me and I am in you, then you will bear much fruit. I am the vine and you are the branches. What fruit is this? The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control, so forth. Okay, and these are the signs of spiritual maturity. And these fruits are blessings to us and the world around us. New life in Christ bears both rewards and responsibilities. It's not just about living happily ever after in paradise and that's the end of it. That's just the beginning. In order to live happily, we must live in being God's family and love one another in the way that he has prescribed. Sin can no longer be our master. But as Cain was warned, it lingers at the door desiring to master us. Christ empowers us to have mastery over it because we don't have the guilt problem. Because we don't have the shame that cripples, we are able to get over it. 
And because we also live free of guilt and shame, and since those things no longer apply to us, we can be free to be ourselves, our true sin-free selves. That is possible. Okay? Because shame, shame inhibits. It stops us from doing things. Oh, I'm ashamed of this. Oh, I'm embarrassed. I won't do it. People will point and mutter. But you don't need to be ashamed. Shame is no longer part of us. We no longer live with the fig tree. It's gone. Instead, we live by the Spirit and aim to please Him. And so we are lavish with many spiritual gifts and blessings. These aren't just for decor or showing off, but for practical use. Let he who has the gift of prophecy prophesy. Let him who has the gift of faith live faithfully. Let those who have the gift of helps help diligently. (laughs) This is what we have been predestined for since before the creation of the world. This is the goal that God has been working towards from the beginning. So Christ died for all our sins. But he lives for us. He lives a new and eternal life as a sign that all who remain in him shall also have that life. It's a life of freedom and love. Sin no longer holds dominion and death, the final enemy, will die. And after that is eternity in paradise, living by the Spirit, a life of loving and being loved by God and one another. Let us then accept this invitation. Let us join ourselves with him and not give up, even when it's difficult. Because we do have an enemy and we do have a world of confused people that don't understand. And the temptation for them is to mock that which they do not understand. And it hurts. But then let us open our hearts for the cultivation of spiritual fruit. Let us not hinder his work in our lives, but aid him by practicing love and care, even to those who do not love and care for us in return. Because it's not about what we can receive, but about who we are as people, who we are in Christ and the expression of his love within our lives. And the overflow of that into other people's lives. And if people give that love back, well that's wonderful. But if they don't, it doesn't matter. Because our source of love comes from heaven and it's an unending source. Let us abandon the sin that so easily entangles and instead pursue godliness. Because that is what Easter is all about. The payment of sin's penalty and the free gift of life offered in the resurrection. I invite you to let us take that gift in both hands then, that we might have life and live it abundantly. Thank you. Thanks for listening to a Wattle City Church podcast. If you download the Anchor podcast app and type Wattle City Church into the search engine, You can listen to more and great podcasts from Wattle City Church. Thanks.